Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Via visions to Daniel the prophet. Praise the Lord. So trust you've enjoyed this study, and uh, trust you have a better understanding, maybe a little better grasp on uh, some of the end-time events, and uh, I know there's a lot of study helps out there. I trust you will avail yourself. The studies I give here are definitely not exhaustive. There's so much. How many know there's so much uh, from God's Word uh, that you can dig in and glean, and, uh, and it'll never, you'll never be able to exhaust it, really. And so uh, maybe I have just... Uh, probably uh, not really even got beneath the surface in some of, this, uh, some of these verses, but hopefully whet your appetite maybe to do more, uh, more study. And uh, how many know it's important to be a Berean, as uh, we saw a, a picture of them in the New Testament when they studied the Scriptures daily. They were what we would call self-feeders. It's good to be fed when you go to church, but how many know you need to be a self-feeder through the week and study God's Word and be able to glean the enrichment for your life? Praise the Lord. So uh, tonight we're going to read. Let's stand together and we're going to read as our text verses 1 through 4. We're going to try to cover all 13 verses, so we'll be referring if you want to keep your Bibles handy. through the other verses as we continue through the lesson. But tonight as a text, Daniel chapter 12 and 1 through 4 simply reads, And at that time shall Michael, uh, somebody say the archangel. Okay, so Michael shall stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, that's Israel, and there shall be a time of trouble. Somebody say tribulation. Such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the blessing of prophecy. Thank you for the blessing, Lord, we've had to spend uh, 14 weeks now in this great book of Daniel. I pray that you continue to enlighten our eyes and our understanding this evening. And once again, Lord... Do what you do, and that's make your word a blessing to us in Christ's name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated. So tonight, as we come to the final chapter of the book of Daniel, we conclude. I want to share three reasons why we study this prophetic book. Um, And so I trust you was able to pick up a study guide, and we're going to work our way through it. Okay, so three reasons why we study this prophetic book. We study the book of Daniel, number one, because Daniel's situation parallels our own. Okay, I want you to think about that for a moment. Daniel spent his entire adult life as a believer living in a pagan culture. Okay? So we can gain great insight from the way he handled the challenges of his culture. And so I trust when you're 
seeking for wisdom and maybe guidance and how to respond to our uh, culture, I trust you can kind of reach back into Daniel and into the heart and the integrity that he had and use that uh, and apply it to your own life. I know I am trying to do that myself. So, number one, Daniel's situation parallels our own. Number two, Daniel's prophecies may soon be fulfilled. I believe the stage is being set for the rise of the Antichrist. That day may be closer than we think. It really may be. And so these prophecies, as I said a couple weeks ago, uh, a lot of them have been fulfilled. Some of them are still to be fulfilled. And those prophecies that are still in the future, it may happen before we know it. It might just happen that quick. Number three, third reason why we study this prophetic book is Daniel's God is our God too. And he's still on the throne. Praise God. I, uh, I think this is the most important lesson of the book of Daniel myself. The simple fact that God is in charge he is in charge of nations. He's in charge of ministries. He's in charge of families. He's in charge of individuals. He's in charge of the past, the present, and the future. He is in charge of the good days, the bad days. He's in charge of the happy days, the sorrowful days, the joy and the heartache. He's in charge of the great victories and even the shocking defeats, right? He's in charge when a child is born. He's in charge when a, the death angel knocks at our door. And so exploring the book of Daniel ought to increase our confidence in the sovereignty of a God who has never made a mistake. Why would he start now? Right? And I said from the start of this study that the book of Daniel reminds us of the sovereignty of God really like no other book of the Bible. We were given a glimpse of Israel in her most weak and defenseless moment. Okay? And in order to recognize that God had not lost control, he takes us systematically through the rulers and he humbles one ruler after another. Right? It didn't matter if it was Nebuchadnezzar. It didn't matter if it was um, Belshazzar. It didn't matter if it was Darius. Um, each of those men were forced to bow their knee to Israel's God. And we saw that God's plan for Israel went way beyond the 70 years that they spent in Babylon. We were shown that God was always in control, which is always an encouraging reality for us to remember. There are many today, I, I was thinking this week as I compiled this lesson, in our culture today, many people have literally wanted to strip God of his sovereignty. They want to take it out of the equation because they are afraid that it makes him look bad. But when they do that, friend, they end up with an unhealthy, unorthodox worldview that is clearly absent of any true comfort, hope, or peace. It's a worldview that replaces faith with works. After all, we become the one who must create good in, in any situation. It replaces prayer with reason. It says God doesn't have the answers any more than we do. In fact, he's up in heaven hurting just like us. That's what happens when you strip God of his sovereignty. 
And if that's the case, then there's no need to ask him for guidance, no need to ask him for direction. We just have to figure out life on our own. That worldview replaces God's glory with man's glory because under this unscriptural worldview, there is only one possible victor. It isn't God, it's us. And so on the day that we can come through our trials, we're the one who gets applauded for our strength, not God, because he was nothing more than a distant observer to them. So in the end, that worldview, that outlook, crushes what we as believers have, which is scriptural hope. Okay, It says if God doesn't have a plan or a hand in our suffering, then there's no hope that God can bring a miracle out of our mess. It says our pain gets wasted and and won't ever benefit anyone. So it actually becomes one of the worst, most depressing worldviews ever. So don't go there, church. That worldview is not biblical, right? It's not true. Because God is in control. And this important fact is the assurance that we have as believers that regardless of the unthinkable atrocities that life may hand to us, we have an assurance that God knows exactly what he's doing. And this is the point where we realize that God loves us unconditionally as evidenced by the cross and has determined that all things will work together for our good because he knows what he's doing even if we don't. We find a living hope in the reality that God is in control even in the midst of tragedy. Tragedies like a 14-year-old kid, Joseph being sold into slavery, by his older brothers, tragedies like a man named Job who lost all eight of his children to a natural disaster, tragedy like a man, uh, like a young boy Daniel being torn from his home at age 15, never to return, tragedies like a son being brutally murdered on a cross while his father looked on, Jesus was. Hello, newsflash, even a heart written Even in heart-rending tragedies, God still had a plan. Right? That's the central message of the book of Daniel. We've seen it over and over again. God is not a God of endless chaos. He's not a God of endless confusion. He sees the end from the beginning, and He has a plan. And that means that regardless of what we walk through, we never have to surrender to our doubt because God never loses control. So Daniel chapter 12, I tell you, it's an exciting chapter. And as we come to it, Daniel, uh, if you realize the chronology of his life, he's an elderly man now. He's nearly uh, nearing the end of a ministry that lasted for 70 years that's his ministry Daniel is believed to have ministered for 70 years so here at this point he's well over 80 years old most believe he's around 90 90 years old at the time of this text here in the 12th chapter so Daniel 12 brings us to the end of his career as a prophet But he has some parting information to leave with us. So let's look at it. Roman numeral one. We're going to look at four great things in Israel's future. All right, number one. Great tribulation. Great tribulation. So, since Michael is the appointed guardian of the nation of Israel. We may be sure that when he stands up, as verse 1 says, when he stands up, something's about to happen. The time, the quote, time of trouble, end of quotes, it's mentioned here in verse 1, is elsewhere called the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay, also known as 
the tribulation. The time of trouble is the yet future 70th week of seven years when God will let the Antichrist briefly rise to power. And once the Antichrist achieves worldwide dominion and worldwide worship, he will oppress the people of God like nobody has ever oppressed them before in history. Antiochus Epiphanes, you remember the things we said he did? Hitler's oppression of the Jews? Those things was child's play compared to the oppression that the final Antichrist will unleash on the people of God. It's not just Daniel that talks about this great tribulation. Christ talked about it in Matthew chapter 24. The Bible says the world will get barbaric, especially against the nation of Israel. To give you an overview, and there's a part of the timing of this event that theologians disagree on. Some of you have heard of a pre-tribulation rapture. That's the belief that Christ will return before this time of tribulation and rapture the believers, the church, and take them home to be with Him in heaven, all believers. If that view is true, only the unbelievers and Jewish nation will go through this time of terrible persecution that's mentioned here. But if that view is not true, everyone, including the church, will go through it together. And that view is called post-tribulation rapture position. Then there's others that believe in a mid-tribulation rapture because the last half of these seven years is commonly called the Great Tribulation. Some believe the rapture of the church will occur right before the last uh, few years of great tribulation. So, as you might guess, you're like, man, I'm really confused now. If you're wondering my thoughts on the subject, I am hoping and I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. <laughs> and anyone who is not hoping and praying for a pre-tribulation needs to get a brain scan. Just saying. Right? <laughs> a little review of your noggin. But while I'm hoping for it, I there's many different folks that land on different views. And I'm not going to disfellowship you if you're a mid-tripper. Right? Somebody, my brother-in-law said, I'm a pan-tripper. It'll all pan out. I said, Okay. But uh, so we've got great tribulation. Number two, notice on your study guide, not only great tribulation, but thank God, number two, great deliverance. Back in chapter 10, we learned there's a vast unseen spiritual world which God created and it exists around us. And the Bible hints that this unseen angelic world is more vast and complex than even the seen universe. In Daniel 10, we learned angelic beings cross the spiritual and physical boundaries and influence our physical world. Satan even assigns powerful fallen angels to influence world leaders toward evil. In addition, in this unseen angelic world, there are different ranks and powers of angels regarding powerful angels. In Daniel 10, we learned one of the strongest angels is God's, in God's angelic army is the one named here in the text, Michael. He's called the archangel. Revelation 12, 7 tells us he's the leader of the Lord's army. Okay, so here we, we learn that during this time of unprecedented tribulation, God is going to assign one of his most powerful angels to protect his people, Israel, during one of their most difficult times. And it's a great encouragement to know that in the time of trouble, Jacob's trouble, there is divine help, right, for the people of God, even in the great tribulation. 
One great thing to know is that special angelic hope, uh, help and protection is not something that's just reserved for the great tribulation. In fact, uh, the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 12 promises to send us as believers angelic help as we go through everyday tribulations and trials. We'll read about it also in Psalm 91.11. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Hey, folks, that's good encouraging news. Right? We may never see these angels. We may never know they are there. But we know God promises to send them our way in our time of need. The deliverance in view of verse 1 comes at the end of the tribulation period. And who will be delivered or saved by the Lord, answer is, everyone whose name is written in the book. What book is that, Pastor? It can be no other book than the Lamb's Book of Life. That is the book God keeps in heaven of the saved throughout all the ages. Only those whose names are written in that book are going to be admitted into heaven. Right? Right? We all have our books of names. We have address books. We have books of family genealogy here at Broadway. We have a church directory, an old one. We also have a formal membership list. I'm talking about names. Whenever we have a business meeting, only those whose names are written on the membership roster can vote. When you go to a nice restaurant, you're asked, you have a reservation if you say no and if it's a busy night the answer may be I'm not sure we have a place for you right the same is true when you go to the airport if you go without a, a ticket if your name isn't in the computer system if the flight is full we're not going to get on that plane are we no matter how much you beg and plead See, God has his books too. How I many know he keeps records? He records everything that happens on earth, and he has also got a book which contains the names of all the redeemed. And in Daniel 12, 1, the angel said that everyone whose name is written in that book will be delivered. Praise God. That makes us ask a very crucial question. Is our name written in that book? Well, how many know we got to be sure it's in there before it's too late? Okay, number three. Great resurrection. That's verse two. The phrase dust of the earth is interesting, but how many know that's all we are at the end anyway. Right? I stood at the graveside many times and said ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Embalming slows it down. Right? Cremation speeds it up. After we die, a process begins and doesn't stop until we are turned into dust. And from the dust of the earth, Daniel says, God will one day raise the dead. Notice, everyone is raised, but not all are going to the same place. Some are raised to everlasting life, while others to shame and everlasting contempt. The saints will be raised immortal, incorruptible. Oh, what a day that's going to be. But those who do not know the Lord, that resurrection is a terrifying experience for them. They're going to find themselves being raised from the dead to be judged, to be exposed. Those who have abused their bodies through sin will discover that they will live with those same abused bodies throughout eternity. What will those bodies look like? 
It depends. Misshapen, scarred, marred by sin. Why? Because how many know what we do with these bodies does matter to God? We will be judged by what we did in our body. And that's not good news for sinners. Right? But there's coming a resurrection. Following the resurrection, point number four, there's going to be great rewards. That's verse three. This verse reminds us that God, did you notice it has the word stars? Do you know God has stars in many places? And they shine in the darkness of this world. Many of you have seen pictures of the famous Hollywood walk of stars, right? Those stars are metal plates fastened to a sidewalk dedicated to people like Bob Hope, Lucille Ball, Marilyn Monroe, Donald Duck, or Mickey Mouse. Each year, Hollywood honors its stars in the annual Oscar presentations, right? Millions watch. Who will win? Which movie will win the award? Which, I mean, but God's stars are a lot different than the ones in Beverly Hills. Actually, they are not the ones the world applauds at all. God's stars, he says, are those who lead others to Christ. Right? God's stars point others to the cross. They and they alone will shine like the stars in the heavens. See, God's stars include the parents, for example, who teach their children. Grandparents who teach grandchildren who Christ is. Right? God's stars, the office or the factory worker who answers questions from their friends and coworkers about Christ and the gospel. God's stars, the child who witnesses maybe to a backslidden parent or grandparent, the coach who shares Christ with his players, not afraid to bow the knee and pray. The friend who tells others about Christ. Listen, the Sunday school teacher who never grows tired of sowing the gospel seeds in the hearts and the minds of their students. Listen, it's the young couple who goes to the mission field. Right? Somebody say, those are God's heroes. Yeah. And one day, they're going to shine. Praise God. They're going to shine like the stars. Those who tell others about Christ will still be shining 10,000 years from now. It's been said, if you want what you plant to last a year, plant some flowers. If you want it to last a lifetime, plant a tree. If you want it to last forever, plant the good news of Jesus inside the heart of a lost person. Amen. And we come to verse 4. Where he says, shut up the words and seal the book, Daniel. Now, to understand that, you need, you need to see the, the background. A little Persian history right here. Because in Persia, when a book was written, it was circulated for the public to read. However, if it was an important book that needed to be referenced in the future, like a reference book, it was sealed and put in the time capsule section of the Persian library for future reference. So this is what we see going on here. God tells Daniel that his book is going to grow in significance in the end times. As the end of history unfolds, people will be revisiting the book of Daniel like they were reading a script 
that describes how history unfolds because things will be happening exactly the way God said it would. Right? And their confidence in God and the Bible will be bolstered as they realize it's all happening just like Daniel said it would. When others are reading this book in the future, they will discover God is true to his word. Write down, hey, you read the last few verses, and we didn't really have time to get into the exact number of days, but the very days are listed in this final chapter. Down to the day. This prophecy is going to be fulfilled, and it's going to be very precise because why? Its author is God himself. Amen. Because only God could tell how history is going to unfold down to the day. Men are running to and fro. That's what he said. It's going to happen in the end times. They're going to have a hunger to see into the future. And that hunger will create them to consume all kinds of information to the point that the phrase says knowledge will increase. Right? Now think of this. No one from Daniel to the middle of ages, or the middle ages, middle of the 1800s, ever traveled faster than on horseback. Right? But that began to change in the middle of the 19th century with the invention of the steam engine and electric power. For example, when Henry Ford produced the first internal combustion engine, speeds increased to an incredible 25 mile an hour. Somebody say, that's fast. Huh? But today, somebody say today. We have vehicles that travel hundreds of miles per hour. Airplanes that hurtle through the atmosphere over a thousand miles an hour. Rockets traveling 24,000 miles an hour. Since the days after the flood until the 1800s, they said knowledge doubled. But the very next hundred years, knowledge doubled again. And now today they tell us that knowledge doubles every 18 months. How many know these are all signs, Daniel says, of the end times? Right? Many things in Daniel that seem mysterious will make perfect sense the closer we come to the return of Christ. So, two final questions. Notice on your study guide. Now, <clears throat> did you ever feel like you have so many questions that you'll never get them all answered? If so, you're in good company because the book of Daniel closes with two questions. The first one comes from an angel. The second one comes from Daniel himself. Question number one. Angel asks, sees all this predicted, and he says, how long? How long? Let me read verses 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long? Somebody say, How long? How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time times and a half and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people all these things shall be finished so evidently one of the angels wondered when the time of trouble for Israel would finally be over the answer comes in verse 7, a time, times, and a half time. Since a time is a year, the whole phrase refers to three years, specifically the last half of the seven-year period, tribulation period, when the Antichrist will unleash his greatest reign of terror on the world. And the same verse also gives us a crucial insight into the purpose of the tribulation. 
Notice, it is to break the power of the holy people. That is the nation of Israel. Do you see that? God allows the Antichrist to rise to power in order to break Israel's pride and to prepare the nation for salvation, those who survive to the end. That actually ties very nicely to Romans eleven twenty six. 26. It says, and all Israel shall be saved. Those that make it through that remnant will be all that's left. That's why all Israel is going to be saved then. Today, blindness in part has come to Israel, which is why the majority of Jews still have not accepted Christ as the Messiah. But in the future, the blindness will be removed and they will look, Scripture says, upon him whom they have pierced. And with broken hearts will embrace him as Lord and Savior. This shouldn't surprise us because we all have to be broken in order to be saved. And some people have to, hey, some of them I have seen hit rock bottom two or three times before they will cry out to the Lord for help. Hello? The tribulation is not simply a judgment. It is a prelude to an outpouring of divine grace upon Israel. Question number two. Number one was how long. Number two is what will be the outcome? And that takes us from verse 8 all the way through 13. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified. That's good news. Many are going to be purified and made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away. And the abomination that maketh desolate set up. There shall be, notice the days, 1,290 days. Somebody say, God is precise. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Hmm. So, we are answering two questions, well, a two-part question of what will the outcome be for Israel, and then for Daniel. That's the A and the B. For Israel, it's 8 through 12. When Daniel asks for further clarification, he is politely told not to worry about it since the events will take place in the distant future of the end time. But he could rest in the confidence knowing, knowing that the end time suffering will separate the righteous from the wicked. The righteous will see God's hand at work even during the tribulation while the wicked will continue in their wickedness. Thus, does God deal with the free moral choices that we make. And the tragedy that breaks one's heart, have you seen it harden another man's heart? One man cries out to God, but another one curses him. And ignores him altogether. So then, that's for Israel. How about for Daniel? I want you to see the Lord's final words to Daniel. It contains four parts. Very important messages here. Number one, go your way. Daniel, you've been faithful. Now just stay the course. You've been through the lion's den. Daniel, keep standing strong. You're going to be okay. Be faithful until God calls you home. 
He says, number two, you're going to rest. You will rest. Daniel, you're going to rest, not in a retirement home, but in heaven. You're going to expire, Daniel. You're going to die. But don't worry. Your body will be in the earth, but your soul will be with God in heaven. Daniel, you've had a long life filled with many struggles, but hang on a little longer. Your day of rest is going to come. That's what he's telling Daniel at night, close to 90 years old. Not only will you rest, number three, you will rise. This is the promise of bodily resurrection. Daniel, you're going to die, but you're eventually going to experience a resurrection. And finally, number four, you're going to receive your allotted inheritance. This would have been a precious promise to a man who lived his whole life in a pagan land in exile. For 70 years, he's been far from his homeland. Although other Jews got to return, Daniel evidently does not. He dies in Babylon. He died as an exile in exile. But God promised him that one day he would receive his promised inheritance. Maybe not in the old city of Jerusalem, but in the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And so basically here then is God's last word to the aged prophet Daniel. Daniel, be faithful to the end. You're going to die, but God will not forget you. Praise God. You will have your place on earth once again. At the end of time, you're going to be raised and will live again. Will we see Daniel again? Not just as a figure from history, but as a real historical person. Right? Praise God. Because of the resurrection. Story goes that a prominent citizen in town was dying one evening as he lay in his lavish home. He was surrounded by the best doctors money could afford. And as the time grew near for his passing, he whispered a note of despair. He said, I'm leaving home. I'm leaving home. Across that same town, they said there lay a solitary figure in modest surroundings. In her eye was a gleam of joy. And just before she passed, she was heard to say, I'm going home. I'm going home. Church, when we leave this world, are we going to say, I'm leaving home or I'm going home? As believers, may we never forget, we sung it earlier, this world is not our home. Until then, we live like strangers. Right? Peter said we're pilgrims just passing through. For those of us who believe this world will never, hey, it never quite feels like home. Why? Because our true citizenship is in heaven. Praise God. So how are we to survive the continual onslaught of the world in our day? The same way Daniel did. By putting our hearts in the right place. For us, that means that even though our bodies are here on earth, our hearts must continually be in heaven. And if our hearts are in heaven, then it doesn't matter where we happen to be on this earth because the world cannot touch us. Praise God. Amen? This week I read a great statement that's it's simple, but it seems to fit the challenging days in which we live. It was simply this, and I quote, Christians should be the calmest people on earth. I thought, what a great thought, Right? We have no need to run around wringing our hands and surviving from one panic attack to the other. Not when our God is on the throne working out his purposes. Praise God. See, the book of Daniel opens with what appears to be 
the clear triumph of evil over good. Yet God allows that to happen temporarily for his own higher purposes. But if you skip to the end of the book, see what's happening? This earthly kingdom gets destroyed. The Antichrist gets defeated. Israel gets delivered. The saints get raised from the dead and rewarded. God's kingdom finally gets established. What starts with defeat ends in a blaze of glorious victory. In that light, the final words of Daniel mean so much more. Daniel, go and rest. A better day is coming. Actually, how many know the best is yet to come? Oh, hallelujah. I said the best is yet to come. And how many know the best has a name? His name is Jesus. Oh, somebody shout amen. I know, I know you had a long day. We can't get too excited right here. Let me close with three final application points. Real quickly, number one. This is what the big idea of the book is. God is large and he's in charge. God's in control of world history. He's in control of your history, my history, right? We may not understand what he's doing, but church, we can trust him. Hallelujah. <coughs> Excuse me. And someday from the perspective of heaven, we will look back on the script of our lives and, and tell God that we couldn't have written a better script. Right? Number two, not only God is large and he's in charge. Number two, honoring God has a payoff. Hmm? There will be times of great trouble as this world wraps up. There is a great spiritual struggle transpiring in the unseen spiritual world around us right now. Satan assigns powerful fallen angels to influence people and leaders. The most satanically influenced world leader will be the Antichrist. He will focus his efforts on oppressing God's people, continuing in faithfulness to Christ in these costly times will be richly rewarded. Live for the moment that we stand in front of Jesus and hear him say, well done. Right? And in that moment, all that matters will be our faithfulness to Christ, how, how we loved and served in his name. It won't matter what kind of car we drove. Right? It's not going to matter, guys, if our jeans had a hole or two in them. Right? What's going to matter is who is faithful. And number three, don't lose hope in times of trouble. There are times when life will seem hopeless. That will be true at the end of history, but there are times now in the middle of history that we feel that way. Oh, but church, don't give up hope. God promises to send his angels to protect us in our times of greatest need. Just as when all hope is gone at the end of, the hist of, of history, Christ comes. He comes to the rescue. Many times God operates the same way in our lives. It is when we are utterly broken that Christ breaks into our lives with his grace and mercy and saves the day. How many know he's an on-time God? Says John June come. Hallelujah. So don't lose hope in times of trouble. Amen. Praise God. Once a man bought an old-fashioned barometer. You ever seen those? Had it shipped to him. He took it out of the box, placed it on the fireplace mantle. He noticed that the needle or indicator seemed stuck on hurricane. 
He said, that ain't right. He said, I'll have to send it back tomorrow once I get off work. But when he got home the next day, well, he didn't get home. His home was gone. The barometer was gone. Turns out the barometer had been right all along. He had denied and questioned what it was telling him, but in the end, the barometer was right. Listen, the book of Daniel is just like that barometer. People can deny it if they like, but in the end, everyone's going to see that it's right. Right? Christ is coming back. I said, Christ is coming back. The Antichrist is not going to win. Oh, let's stand together. Somebody ought to praise God. Jesus Christ is the winner. Oh, and it pays us to be ready. Oh, don't you want to be rapture ready? Father here tonight, thank you for your word. Thank you for the weeks we have been given to study the book of Daniel. I pray that it has enriched our lives, our spiritual man. I pray that we've gleaned. I ask you, Lord, tonight, help us. Every one of us, under the sound of my voice, God, may we be rapture ready. May we be looking, anticipating the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ, the Holy One of Israel. Hallelujah. And Lord, I pray that if we cannot look for your return with confidence, if there's any hesitancy, God, I pray that we come to the cross we work it out with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the confidence we can have to know that if we lay our head on our pillow tonight and you come before the dawn breaks, we will see you in the clouds. Touch us wonderful folks tonight. Minister to every need. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen. amen. Sister Jones, what are you playing? He's coming soon. With joy. His returning. Oh, it may. Bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Altars are always open. If you'd like to come and pray. Other than that, ladies, prayer tomorrow at 6.30 in the prayer room. Back here in the house of the Lord for the weekend. God bless you. We'll welcome his return.